welcome back to the Keep It Quirky podcast. I'm your host, Katie Quinn, and this is the pod where I talk with fellow creatives and entrepreneurs about food, travel, and the discipline and drive to create. Passion begets passion. So come on with me and let's do this. Hey, hey, welcome back, everyone. I want to give a quick shout out to all of you who reached out to me after last week's interview with Rachel Koo. I'm really thrilled that so many of you loved that conversation. I mean, I honestly, I love that conversation, too, and I got a lot out of it, too. If you are one of the people who enjoy what you are hearing on this podcast, please take a moment to leave a review in the Apple Podcast Store. Rate, review, whatever you have time to do. It really helps other people discover this show. So thank you. Today's conversation is with an entrepreneur here in London who has a contagious spirit about him, Jeremy Pang. He is the chef and co-owner of School of Wok, London's only cookery school for Chinese cuisine. Jeremy grew up in London and he was on track to biochemical engineering. Yeah. So his career path then took a few different twists and turns before he eventually enrolled in culinary school at Le Cordon Bleu and then started School of Walk. At the time, a mobile cookery school. That was like a decade ago. And now School of Walk not only has established a brick and mortar school in central London, but has expanded into products like walks and meal kits that are sold at grocery stores all around the UK. He's also authored two cookbooks, and he has a YouTube channel with over 75,000 subscribers where he teaches a lot of his favorite Chinese dishes in a way that's super accessible for everyone. Jeremy and I talk about how he first propped up the business, leaning and learning from friends and family for support, and how even as a successful small business, there is constant growth and evolution and learning to be done. When you're an entrepreneur, there's a fine line between being excited about a next step and being scared. You kind of have to just convince yourself that you're more excited than you are scared. Jeremy's got hustle, but he also has so much joy. Just arriving to School of Walk, Jeremy greeted me with a huge, contagious smile. And as soon as we sat down and turned the mics on, he pushed a freshly baked dessert in front of me. Um, <laughs> so, let's start by just having a bite of what you just put in front of me. <laughs> what is this? You're lucky. You walked in on a what Wednesday filming <laughs> yeah. session. So uh, we have a Chinese steamed sponge um, um, and we had excessive amounts of it. So I've made enough to feed oh. an army. Um, oh my God, the sponginess. <laughs> yeah. It's so good. <laughs> it's super spongy, right? Yeah, mm. there's, there's quite a lot of baking powder in it, but also like five eggs. So yeah, it's quite, quite airy. It's so simple to make. Um, and uh, it, this is the sort of thing that you get in dim sum mm. uh, restaurants mm -hmm. uh, or the Chinese bakeries. Um, and we call it Malai Go, which is, means steamed sponge. But um, yeah, it's sort of got golden color um, and just very Moorish. So Jeremy Pang, thank you for having me to School of Walk for Pleasure. for feeding me right off the get-go. <laughs> that is quite a welcome. That's the way we work. You know? <laughs> We're a cookery school. How can we not feed you? <laughs> um, and School of Walk is in the Covent Garden neighborhood of yep. London, yep. right near Chinatown. 
Yes, yeah, yeah. We're about five minutes walk from Chinatown, so uh, not far, but far enough. Yeah. <laughs> Is it important to have accessibility to some of the ingredients in Chinatown? Absolutely, though? yeah, absolutely. I think the guys, I think they they'd like to be able to get the stuff delivered uh, and every absolutely everything delivered, but they still do go into Chinatown sort of once or twice a week. Um, mainly to pick up sort of more specialist ingredients, the dry stuff that they run out of, or the you know pantry ingredients, and then the sort of fresh Chinese vegetables as well. Although some sort of uh, catering veg distributors um, have really good options on Chinese veg these days. So yeah, um, but it's really very very useful, especially with like rices and noodles. And you know, today I was cooking with fermented red tofu. I mean, oh, you wouldn't get that you what? know anywhere else really. So yeah. I want that. Yeah. That sounds awesome. <laughs> I was actually just recently read a recipe that called for fermented black beans, and yeah. I was thinking, note to self, that after this interview, I've got to uh, yeah, yeah. pop over. But you, you don't want to get confused because, yeah, you know, obviously, fermented black bean is not really a black bean; it's a soya bean, you know. And oh, so, really? So it's, a, it's a fermented salted soya bean, but for some reason, the translation of it says it's a black bean. Wait, this so is so interesting. So I never knew that. Yeah, it's not. Uh, it's not a Mexican black bean. Right. Like, Okay, like, you know, that's, <laughs> we don't make like uh, frijoles with it or whatever. You know, yeah. so like it's um, yeah, it's, it's a so, it's a soya bean. It's just like a shriveled up soya bean. Yeah, I love that. I want so the book that I'm reading that had a recipe for this is Lori Colwin. Who's, okay, uh, are you familiar with no, her? No, I haven't. No, she's a an amazing American author. She right. died like a decade ago, but it's kind of been like a resurgence of all of these people and these really well-known food personalities okay. saying, I love Lori Cole and she's awesome. So I Brilliant. just started reading okay. Home Cooking. Yeah. And I wonder if she knew that because in all her talking about fermented black beans, she never mentions that. Oh, really? Maybe she didn't. I you know, I think it's, it's quite an easy one to sort of not, not understand or not. Totally. I mean, it's, yeah, it goes through quite a lot of process to get there. Yeah. Which this kind of gets to the very heart of what you do and why you do it right, is, yeah. is educating people Correct. about yeah, yeah. things like that. And I can't wait to dig into all that you do because you do <laughs> so much. Yeah. But I want to start yeah. at the turning point because sure. you went to school for biochemical engineering <laughs> yeah, and right. you began a career down that path and right. then whoop, yeah. You you enrolled at Le Cordon Bleu. Yeah. Well, actually, no. I so I I did I did study biochemical engineering with Spanish. Weirdly, really? I, I speak better <laughs> Spanish than I do Chinese, which is slightly <laughs> embarrassing, but kind of cool in other ways. So, um, but uh, but then I went um, from uh, uni straight uh, straight into marketing. So, um, I di- I didn't actually ever use my engineering. I don't think I'd be able to tell you one thing about engineering to run this. Um, <laughs> I, I did a graduate scheme at, at Labrooks. Um, PLC, which is like one of the largest betting companies of the UK. And I, it, it was a quick sort of grad scheme, six months, and then uh, sort of uh, about four months into it, I, I became a product marketing manager for that company. But I hated what I did because like, I was essentially trying to just, my job was getting people addicted to gambling. So, um, 
Yeah, that's that's tough. Yeah, and like, you know, and at, at sort of twenty-two years old, that's not really what most people would want to do. So, I quit that quite quickly and and went straight into um, a, a course at the Cordon Bleu, which I believe you did as well. Yeah, yeah, in Paris, and you went to the one in London. In London, yes, yeah. exactly. So, uh, but all the all the chefs were pretty much French anyway. So, right. like in, yeah, in London, exactly. but yeah, it was quite, and it, it was the old Cordon Bleu in London. I, I did three and a half months as a basic cuisine course. Most of the guys there were doing sort of the full what they call the grand diploma right. same with me I was in your yeah. exact same shoes what, right. what was that like for uh, you it was different I mean price price point can I wouldn't be able to afford it anyway but my sister actually paid for me to do the four and a half the three and a half months wow so she sort of funded me she's you know she's a successful lawyer she's far richer than all of us so um, <laughs> um and the, so so she did that and she's very very kind of her and and I and that same year I then went and did some travel journalism and I, I sort of did a bit of writing for a travel guide out in in um, Thailand uh, with my wife um, uh, and it was for a, a family friends company in Hong Kong and it was all around sort of uh, the top uh, restaurants and hotels to go and eat and stay in uh, in Phuket so we wrote that travel guide um, out in Hong Kong and Thailand and, and, and then uh, came back here. But that was at the height of the sort of recession. So it was 2008. That's when the recession hit, really, or started hitting. And uh, and so that never actually happened. Yeah, so we wrote the book. It just never uh, got onto the shelves, never got published. Uh, and then after that, um, I thought, well, what do I do? Do I go back to marketing or do I go into food? And um, my... Um, my dad was still around at that point and he um he was like you should go into food and I said well I don't think I've got quite got it yet you know and and if I go back into marketing I can earn some more money quickly you know so I went into to Samsung Electronics and I, I ended up becoming a, a project manager for strategic alliances I don't think anyone understands what that actually is <laughs> that goes yeah. right over yeah. heads yeah I mean but I kind of weirdly do that now for School of Walk essentially it's kind of like building bridges between two companies that aren't sort of finan- aren't necessarily financially sort of bound yeah um, so they're marketing collaborations they're things that one company can help another company with and both companies benefit right so if Samsung and Ferrari or Samsung and Microsoft or, would would want a link um, then you know we'd work out a way of doing it right in or in YouTube terminology it's like a collaboration Absolutely. it's like if you come on my channel I'll come on your channel yeah and it's almost like, like what we're doing now yeah. like you know we're, we're chatting about random things about our businesses and we're collaborating and so um, essentially, that's how uh, we, we we sort of started up the premises here at, at School of Walk. You know, after a while, and uh, this was 2009, my dad fell ill. You know, and 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 he passed away March 2009. So I basically shot out to Hong Kong, looked after my mom. I was out there for about three and a half months, and Samsung let me go on the day of my dad's burial. So like, so oh I lost God. I lost my job, and I thought, well, what do I do? It's the height of the recession. And then about six months later, School of Walk was born. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Um, 
And it started yeah. as a mobile cooking school, right? Yeah, correct. Yeah. 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 So yeah. you would like go around, mm-hmm. teach people about Chinese cooking, Chinese right. yeah. food. Yeah, so I'd literally, my joke is uh, I, I turn up with a bag of knives and a wok and hope people let me in, you know? Like, <laughs> and, and, and it really was that way. It was like, right, at the very first sort of two to three months, it was friends of friends who, un, who sort of heard about what I was doing, uh, lived around London who wanted to try something new. So, um, so I'd, I'd turn up and, and sort of teach three dishes in three hours. I'd bring all the ingredients and any equipment that I thought would be absolutely necessary. Did you have a car? Uh, I did have a <laughs> okay, car. Okay, that's good. But yeah, and I, but I did also spend most of my time taking this bag, you know, the, the bag, the bag of cordon bleu knives yes. that everyone sort of treasures for the first sort of eight to ten years after right. the cordon bleu. Um, I actually took all those Western knives on the train most days to uh, to my classes, which is highly illegal. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, I, there was one day I think I I was on the train trekking over to East London. Uh, I, you know, I'm a West West. Londoner, um, and well, I have been, and uh, uh, and my meat fork fell out of my knife. But I had my headphones in. I was listening to um, some music, and I had fell no out. idea that it oh fell my out. God. And everyone was just staring at me, very, very <laughs> sort of uh, viciously. <laughs> Dude, put it back in your bag. <laughs> but hey, I had business cards that said I, I run a school of walk, so it'll be fine. Yeah, you know? <laughs> Okay, so that was 2009. Yes. And then yeah, yeah, yeah. in 2012, that's when you got this space in Covent Garden yes, that we're yeah, in yeah. right now. Right, yeah. So it was 2000, end of 2011, uh, my, my business partner, Nev, who joined me in 2010, we decided, right, we're going to go for it. Um, How did you guys meet? Did he go to Le Cordon Bleu as well? No, he actually went to Ashburton Cookery School. Have you heard of that? It's probably one of the best culinary schools in the UK now. Oh, cool. Um, and uh, he did, he, again, he did it two and a half month program there not not long but he had this big passion in cooking and he wanted to open a cookery school in Bath that fell through and I basically convinced him to join me so um, I said why don't you join me instead he's actually my brother-in-law's sister's best friend's husband (laughs) yeah one of those. I'm hey. going to need to draw a diagram for <laughs> yeah. this. My wife's Indian, so everyone's sort of related in some way or form. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, uh, it's... Uh, and then we, we kind of worked together side by side for about a year and a half, two years. And then we thought, you know what, we're going to go for it. Uh, let's open a proper cookery school. Um, and we need bricks and mortar. Where are we going to open it? Um, and we found, found ourselves here. And uh, I, I think we wouldn't have been able to afford it if we didn't um, sort of build the links that we we have now. Um, so at that point, AEG were our appliance sponsors. Uh, we met them in Taste of Christmas, I think it was. And they basically said, look, we'll kit out your school with whatever you want. So we went on the biggest shopping spree we've oh, ever had. that's epic. Yeah. I mean, those are the kind of things that are making this kind of a dream a reality, right? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And and it saves us so much money over the years. We're now not with AEG. We're moving to... to one of their big competitors to Neff and but you know these relationships they move and they flow and they change um, but we've got a lot of support with, from some big companies yeah for a very small company it's quite a strange thing to have that yeah so, so you still consider yourself a small company at this point? Yeah, because I would you, say so, yeah. Among the things that you have going right. on yeah. are not just the, the classes that you do. Yeah. You also do a ton of corporate events yes. around it yeah. with, with yeah. classes like that. Yeah. You also have 
two cookbooks out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You also have a very successful YouTube channel. Right, yeah, it's getting there. It's getting there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like walking in for this podcast interview, you were still recording for your channel when I arrived. You were <laughs> yeah. batch recording. How many videos did you shoot we're today? We're aiming for nine. We got through, we got through seven in the end. I yeah. mean, that is <laughs> epic. For <laughs> yeah. anyone who doesn't have a video production yeah. background experience, let me tell you that that is a lot to bite off in a day. <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm honestly impressed that your brain is still working. Yeah, well, I'm very used to it. The guys do wonder, I think, but essentially I need good sleep and I do get it. So yeah, um, and even, you know, I have a two-year-old child. I was so just yeah, going to yeah, say, yeah, even yeah, with yeah. a kid. Yeah, well, we did it for about 10 months and I was very grumpy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but he's sleeping now, so that helps a lot. Um, but the, the, the crux of it is, yeah, it, it, it's still, a, there's, only, there's only 12 of us in the business, you know, uh, so it's still definitely a small company. Um, it's a tough business to run. Uh, w- w- even after six years in central London, we're, we're happy if we're surviving. Essentially, we're happy if we're breaking even. Uh, but because we're going into such sort of big branding projects with so few people and such little resource, yeah, it, we, it almost feels like every day we feel that much smaller as a company. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, as, yeah, yeah. that makes sense. It is kind of ironic, though, as the yeah. bigger opportunities come, the more yeah. obvious it is that, oh, we could use more right. help. <laughs> yeah, and we could definitely use a hell of a lot more help, but we can't afford it. So so we're in that sort of uh, catch-22 situation. Yeah. A really exciting thing that you guys are also doing, yeah. which I got distracted by talking about your YouTube videos oh, yeah. and didn't get to, but you guys are also available in grocery stores yes, with yeah, your yeah, bun yeah. kits and um, yeah. the stir-fry Stir-fry kits, yeah. yeah. So, so we, we caught, kind of thought... We've got our, our own Wok range now, School of Wok, Wok range, and that did pretty well. Like in the first two, three years, it was pretty much sort of, the, I think the second uh, or third highest selling Wok range in the UK, which is, you know, amazing achievement. And yes. like, and so we've done that with a licensing deal with it, with Dexim, who are a great company. And because of the success of that, we thought, you know, we'd try and push into grocery and see what happens. What we didn't realize was how much it costs us to do that. <laughs> like, and um, we're literally at the crux of that right now. Um, so we're, we're, we're looking at all different ways of funding or help to help fund that project. We say it's a project, but essentially it's a new business, completely new business. We've taken that 100% on in-house ourselves, just with our 12-person team and a couple of consultants. So the stress levels on that are incredibly difficult. Uh, I'll talk you through it. The bow bun kits are basically the first ever make-your-own-bow kits, like steam bun kits uh, in the world. That And, and we've tapered the sort of rising time of two and a half or an hour and a half to 10 minutes on the bread so you can mix the bread with warm the bread mix with warm water and 10 minutes later it's risen it, it, it will have enough air sort of push in it to to rise really nicely i didn't realize that that is new that yeah. that's a new yeah. technology yeah so i mean especially in retail so you don't have yeah. like breads like that and especially steam buns no one's ever really created a steam bun flour mix that works anyway um but let alone work and do it in that sort of time uh yeah it's that is cool. awesome yeah. i did do it then i feel completely um spoiled because right. i did one of your bao bun kits oh yeah yeah and it was great and yeah. i was like oh this is <laughs> why haven't i done this before it's like <laughs> yeah. because this didn't exist before Katie. yeah That's i mean we've, we've done it all in like dry powder form so yeah. we've got like bao flour mix and a pickling salt a dry rub and then a, and then a sort of um, a glaze we call it which is essentially a mix of spices that we mix with water or beer and 
pour over the top of the stir fry meat. But like that, the, what's most interesting for me is the flour mix because if you can get, if, even if you just get hold of that bao flour mix from the kit, you can make a, uh, you know hundreds of different dishes out of it. Um, and so I, I, for me, when a product's, I know I've created a good product if I'm using it myself. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so so I use that bao flour mix for my like when my friends and family come around and say, oh, I'll, I'll give you something different today. You know, like, um, and they think I've slogged away in the kitchen for hours, but it's just yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's great. Yeah, yeah. So the video, the correlating video you have on your channel that is, I, you know, I think is a resource for anyone who gets your bao bun kit. Right. You have your kit. Yeah. If you need visual help, this is yes. how you do it, yeah. step by yeah. step. And I love, and I and I want to bring this up because I think that it shows how you come about teaching about food in which it's relatable, it's energetic, it's mm. not something you might think of and you're like, I'm going to a cookery school or a right. Chinese cookery yeah, right. school. Yeah. Um, and that is that you call that you, as you're like rolling out these circular yeah. buns and then you flip it over and you, you say, I, I call these the Angelina Jolie <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. because they, yeah. they look like, looks like big lips. Yeah, right. right? That one kind of stuck, <laughs> I think, from Taste of London one of the years. Like, I, I sort of made it up and I thought, oh, that's a good one. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, as many times, as as many sort of thoughts I can come up with or of explaining something in a more fun way, then that, that's what School of Walk is. That's the essence of what we do here. And I think people don't realise how much time we actually... To, to take to think about our fun our little puns and you know and and we i mean when we started we had no customers so we used to have meetings about puns you know like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what makes it fun yeah, yeah, i would yeah. love to be at that meeting <laughs> yeah i think at that point we, we put a poll up on facebook i remember it was like uh, a fight between what's the story morning glory and uh, uh shiitake happens yeah <laughs> uh, but, yeah i mean yeah, there's, uh, there's a million what puns yeah, right. yeah 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 i think it was your first book chinese unchopped yes yeah i was reading about it online and and it the a quote on amazon i believe was mm. that it demystifies <laughs> chinese yeah. cooking and the traditions and and right. you know everything around chinese food which to a westerner i think can be a little intimidating or overwhelming correct yeah how would you describe how what you do demystifies it or can you give an example uh, of that okay yeah demystifying? I mean, look, the, the simplest example is probably the what clock um, that's like a big thing for us now uh, so we, we say that any round plate is really useful in a kitchen and we call that the what clock and it's a what clock because you start at 12 o'clock and you and then you piece all of your mise en place or your your like chopped ingredients around that clock so you know exactly what goes in first second third fourth fifth you don't have to then go back to the recipe now the thing that i find um sort of frustrating about recipes and recipe books is that um when you're in the middle of cooking often you feel like if you haven't cooked that thing before you have to go back and check what you're doing but the what clock kind of just completely demystifies that that is a genius yeah, idea yeah, yeah. and yeah. obviously that it applies to all kinds of cooking yes all absolutely, kinds of culinary absolutely. i mean traditions. we call it a what clock yeah. because it's called a what but, exactly, exactly. but hey you can use it for everything yeah and and if i was gone if, if i went back to the cordon bleu i'd be teaching that to them i think that you know that's because that's what essentially the epitome of, of mise en place yeah 
you need to get everything in the right place at the right time and you need to be organized but you want to have it have fun whilst you're doing it right yeah. um and so so that that's a big part i think actually sort of demystifying chinese cuisine i think that's a big like you know it's a massive bit of praise and i and i thank people for it i think it's actually simpler than people think um with my value or my view in cooking is that um with I'm never looking to simplify a technique. If something has to be cooked a certain way, and so let's say it has three or four cooking techniques within one dish, I'm not going to change the way that that dish is cooked, but it's about how we simplify the explanations. Yeah. Um, and that's what I believe we did from day one with Chinese Unchopped uh, and then Hong Kong Diner with the second book and everything we do in our YouTube videos and how we sort of push that education forward. Yeah. We talked about your biochemical engineering turned travel right. journalist yeah. 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 turned marketing <laughs> <Yeah>. guru. <laughs> but you do come from a family of people yeah. that have been in the restaurant industry in some way shape or form right so you're right. the third generation yeah yeah i mean the third generation Ch- so chinese chefs it, it kind of half skipped a generation like my parents ended up being pharmacists and pharmaceutical engineers or my dad was actually a biotech consultant when he finished so um uh, but but in the old days, like my dad would have helped out in in uh, my grandma's takeaway, which was uh, in sort of um, where is it Crouch End, yeah. Uh, and then uh, and then my mum's side, my granddad, he was a specialist dim sum and Chinese baker or Cantonese baker, so dim sum chef, uh, and he used to run what became Kowloon Bakery. I think it was called something else at that point in the in the late sixties, yeah. Um, that's in Chinatown in London. So, um, and then they moved up north to Manchester and opened their own bakery, Chinese bakery called Ho's Bakery. That's still there. It's run by my half uncle in in Manchester Chinatown. Um, so yeah, it has been ingrained in our sort of lifestyle over the years. Interestingly, like I mean, I was born here in the UK, and you know, like everyone else, like when you're a kid, you don't really want to do any work. So yeah, like, yeah. You know, so, so like my my uncles had bakeries and things and they they'd always say oh come and learn come and you know come and help us out in the bakery over summer and i'd flatly refuse i just wanted to go and play football or basketball or you know go and hang out with my mates you know and so for that whole time i never learned any of that stuff from them um which is a shame in some ways but then as i started i think the the, my biggest learning has been the last nine ten years of running this place when you're teaching hundreds of people you learn very quickly (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) yeah I mean, you know, you know, you're in the same industry, you know, you're, you're constantly oh, yeah. picking things up and learning new things. You might write a recipe and then six months later think it's not very good mm-hmm. and you want to write it again. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's, that's the way we learn. Yeah. So yeah. was there any doubt for you ever of what kind of food you would teach? So you came up with School of Walk. There was a void here mm. in London, right? There's mm. not, to, even to this day, you are really the right. only ones doing this. Yeah, I mean, we've had a few sort of trials at Copycats, um, which is a, a compliment in itself, it is, I think. It is. Yeah, and um, but I don't think people realize, as I say, the, the amount of time, thought and effort that we put into the format of our classes, how we deliver our classes, um, and so on and so forth. And and just being able to, yeah, we have a format for our chefs to follow, but our chefs be able to give their personality and really bring their own personalities out. None of our chefs today are Asian. 
<laughs> really? <Right? Yeah. laughs> and and we do get the odd, I call it positive racism, where they people come in and go, why aren't you Chinese? Or why aren't you Thai? Or What's the response to that? Well, interestingly, Heather, <laughs> who was sitting upstairs, I think you might have seen, um, she's our assistant manager, and she she was born in Hong Kong, you know, like I mean, she's yeah. but she's Scottish, you know, and like so it's it's a, but not that she learned all of this type of cooking there, she learned a lot of it here, but she knew how to eat it, yeah. yeah. And if you know how to eat it, you know how to cook. You just need to be taught well. Yeah, yeah. yeah like, I love that. If you know how to eat it, you know how to cook it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. People don't think that, but it's abs- it's absolutely true because you've tasted it, you know what something's supposed to taste like and if we can teach it right to you you'll be able to replicate that yeah what do you say to people who are overwhelmed by cooking you know they like food but Mm. they don't really cook and they're like i could just have a bowl of cereal Uh, yeah (laughs) we've had a few that my brother-in-law is a bit like that yeah um but they're all convertible (laughs) (laughs) tell me how i I want to learn my 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 (laughs) wife was a vegetarian before she met me it took about a week and she had four four different types of meat (laughs) i mean but in this world of uh, everyone moving to veganism that's not the greatest thing but um but but you know it just you just need to if something's cooked well then most people will want to eat it right so so that's how you sort of convert people and i think we've had people in here who say they don't ever eat ginger or any sort of spice but by the end of it they're eating a Thai green curry and going oh, wow, wow that's the best sort of dish I've ever eaten right because you know? it's just proper use of that yeah, ingredient it's just cooked properly yeah. and, they, and they've cooked it themselves yeah and so they have this sense of reward and mm. if they feel like they've cooked it themselves and don't eat it they feel like they've missed out yeah so it's quite easy to to, to convert people I think yeah <laughs> So I, I think that I started to ask and then yeah. got distracted. Mm. Did you ever doubt choosing this kind of cuisine? Because you did go to Le Cordon Bleu. You could yeah. have hypothetically taught any cuisine. Yeah. Well, actually, when Nev, my business partner, joined me, uh, he's, he's, he's from the West Country. He's an English guy. Um, you know, he ran pubs and event management sort of companies and he he started we he started a separate company called cookery coach who did exactly the same thing going to people's homes but only in teaching western cuisine oh i think it took us about 12 attempts to get the perfect poached egg poster about 10 years ago <laughs> but, um, and, and and so he so he started that we started that side by side and the two companies were growing similarly like at similar rates but school of work just stood out to mm. us and it's the, got a good yeah, name. The name's I feel great. like yeah, that yeah, goes yeah, far, yeah, right? Absolutely. The name's perfect for what we do. Um, Chinese food was the, the, the first place for me to start because it was like a sixth sense to me. So even mm. though I went to the Cordon Bleu, you know, I'd been eating and cooking Chinese food since I was like, well, eating it since I was born, cooking it since I was 12, you know. So like I didn't have to even think about what I was going to teach. And then from there onwards, because I grew, sort of grew up for a few years in Singapore, traveling around Southeast Asia, you know, I traveled a lot when I was a kid, you know, I th- I, it was an easy transition to the rest of the sort of um, pan-Asian cuisines, uh, let's say. Um, and now, you know, I've got my in-laws are Indian. So we tried, we tried to do Indian classes here at School of Walk. It just didn't work because I think the name just sort of limits it to um, Oriental and Asian. At home, do 
you and your wife ever cook kind of like combo meals which is like well, my wife's actually more of a baker than a ah. cook so she does all the cakes i do all the savory yeah although i made this cake today yeah <laughs> and it is very good i think your wife has got a run, yeah, yeah. run for her money there yeah, well no she honestly she makes beautiful wedding cakes but um uh but no she she's uh so, so i actually cook most of the indian food at home but that's why i think i love malaysian food so much because it's a great combination of Indian, Malay, and Chinese culture, um, uh, and I just think that that combination is like a perfect balance. Yeah. Do Do you feel like it would have been helpful for you to? Okay, because we've talked so much about your culinary background. Right. Would it have been helpful for you to go to business school? I mean, what was that learning yeah, curve like? Yeah. Being someone who just loves food. To, <laughs> now you're an entrepreneur. Yeah. Well, to be fair, I, I think on the outset to everyday consumers. I'm more of a chef than I am an entrepreneur, but actually my biggest passion lies in business and it always has done. So even over my university days, I did biochemical engineering, but I did two out of my six modules were in business. My father was a sort of quite a big businessman in, in sort of biotech stuff. Um, and I used to go to his business meetings from the age of about 10, you know, so, um, and I just get a big kick out of doing deals with companies and, and business. So, so, so the entrepreneurship is where it, it keeps me motivated to, to continue running the cookery school. But that's probably why myself and, and Nev have kind of looked at all these different avenues of essentially creating a, hopefully a home brand. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in what we do, but you know, business is a bit crazy and you know you never know really what's going to happen so it's you know we're at that stage now where we're quite nervous we're taking the next step with these kits and the the grocery stuff we have no idea what we're doing yeah. you know, we, we, we really are sort of just going okay finger in the air what do we do next um but we're hoping that we get the support of everyone else you know uh, and we're, we're we're looking at like kickstarter campaigns which is i know it's really big in the u.s which mm-hmm. we're, you know where, where you come from and um and and we've got such a huge u.s following from youtube that we kind of felt like actually kickstarter could work really well for us because um, because everyone's asking how they can get their hands on to bow halfway across the world. Yeah. But at the moment, we don't have the distribution capacity to do that. Um, but at least with Kickstarter, we might be able to give out sort of 500 or so out to the US, Canada and other places that perhaps my book's gone and things like that. Um, so, uh, yeah, we're launching that in, in, in February. We'll see how that goes. And the entrepreneurship is really exciting. I love it. But at the same time, it makes me really, really scared uh, <laughs> most, most nights. Right, right. <laughs> I mean, the fear is kind of the same as the excitement, right? There's such a fine line between fear and being ridiculously excited about something. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And trying to like keep that momentum going, you kind of have to just convince yourself that you're more excited than you are scared. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Did you guys go into investors have have you gone down that hole uh, it took road? us a while but um last year or last two years we've taken on two new investors um so ben uh, and max and um max actually he was the md 
of Metcalf Skinny Popcorn um, for about two, three years. And he used to, I used to work with him at Labrooks at the betting company. No way. Yeah, we were on the same graduate scheme. Oh yeah. my gosh, yeah. it goes that far back. Yeah, so he then came back and sort of took, brought his team, his Metcalf's team over here for a corporate class. That's how we got back sort of in touch. And then we just got talking. And, how cool is uh, yeah. that? And then he invested. He's now started his own company. We share an office around the corner from here. Uh, called, uh, his company's called the, the Curators, so they do beef jerky um, uh, and these pork puffs and things um, and snacks. And uh, we share the office, and, and he's one of our investors, and he's, he's a great asset. And then Ben, he's sort of more of a personal sort of um, almost like an angel investor um, uh, who runs multiple businesses and, and a good good guy to have on board and has really sort of financed this this new project. So, um, but we've found we've worked out that if we're not just running a cookery school, money goes much quicker. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, you just like you said before yeah. about the kits, it kind of is starting a whole new business. Yes, yeah, within the same business. Yeah, and it's not the type of business that we've we're used to um it's the type of business that really needs a lot of cash plugged into it to make it work even just to get product into people's hands yeah um um, but we're at the start of that journey and we hope we'll stay on shelves um and even if we don't we'll try something else you know that's that's the way we are yeah what what would you say is the number one piece of advice that you would give a budding entrepreneur who Mm. wants to do something like what you're doing in the food industry and really has an itch to to start something of their okay. own um i don't know that there's something that i learned from samsung which there's very few things that you can learn from a company like that to be <laughs> honest but but, but but one thing was before they sort of got rid of everyone they said right we're going to give you guys six months we're going to change the whole team around uh, and i but the the task is the whole of marketing has no budgets zero budgets and you say you need to work out how to make money without spending money Right. We're not in that place now, but if you're just starting up, that is absolute gold dust. And if, and that's how I started this business. You know, in 2009, I, it, it cost me 500 pounds to start this business. I worked with my friend who never knew how to make a website, but was a jack of all trades and said he'd do it. Uh, he did the website. Another friend who's still out, our designer Freya um, she's got a a design studio called the brand new studio now she was working for a different company and she looked at my was it Vista print business cards that you get for free and I kind of did a I I used I had Microsoft no I had Microsoft paint and I I created an embossed wok on Microsoft Paint that had School of Walk on the embossing of the actual metal part and she looked at that and just almost burst into tears so she basically said look <laughs> I'll do it and I'll do it for like £100 or like if, you know what forget it I'll just do it for free <laughs> so she designed the brand Yeah, she came back with a full like website icons and this whole portfolio of stuff that I'd never even thought about and said what do you think about this and I was like wow that is so cool yeah let's go for it what a real vote of confidence yeah, and, and friends really helped out at the beginning. So use your friends, people will help your friends and your family. The other bit of advice is that I would say always when you start a business, try and work out how you can 
pay yourself from day one because Nev and I decided not to do that especially when we stepped foot here in the premises um, and for two and a half years running this premises without any wage was incredibly difficult on both our marriages yeah um, uh, yeah and and I wouldn't ever advise that to be honest yeah. so, w- so would you recommend as a part of that like starting uh, like for tax purposes like I think it's different here in the UK than yeah, it is yeah. in the States but it's like- it's less it's, it's more about okay like we we were actually earning a, a wage as sole traders but, but then we had to put our money into this business. And at that point, we put the money in the business. You know, so much, there was so much outgoing in the premises and with no customers, really, to fill this relatively good space out. And uh, it took us a good two and a half years to start filling up our classes. Now they're really booked up. So, um, but, so but for me, taking out whether it was trying to get a bank loan or even trying to say, well, some friends and family sort of either loan you the money or you give away a small amount of your shares to, to, of your company to, to get that investment just to be able to pay your wage for the first two or three years, I think is absolutely fine and okay to ask for. Yeah, And I think you should do that if... I, I think we're lucky that we survived. And I think we're also, never and I, are very lucky that our wives stuck by us. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know, because they essentially paid paid our way, yeah, along with family members. I'm sure it's been a huge challenge for all of the reasons that you said and many others that you <laughs> haven't even touched on, but you are obviously onto some really exciting things. Yeah. I'm excited for you. I'm excited to follow and keep watching. Yeah, and we'll we'll sign up to your YouTube channel too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I feel like you and having met you now too mm-hmm. you're such a joyous person <laughs> smiles come easily uh, i've just been watching too much cbb's <laughs> <laughs> presenters on them my god they continue to smile i don't know how they do it <laughs> even after a full day of shooting um yeah you still the smile is still there so you see you strike me as someone who keeps it quirky yeah, yeah. like a super rock star entrepreneur who keeps it quirky <laughs> yeah so and- i'm more of a hip-hop fan but okay yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who's your favorite hip hop artist? Uh, oh, that's tough. I do. Li- I listen to a lot of uh, a lot of Outkast actually. Really? Yeah, old school Outkast, yeah. like Eminem. You know yes. those sorts of albums. Yeah. How do you keep it quirky? And Outkast can be involved. That's, okay, that, well, that's well, fair. Okay, that's fair game. You, uh, what do you want? A story or what? <laughs> okay, we'll put it this way. I, I, yeah, we're, we're on the topic of hip hop. Um, so I, you you haven't met him, but Lee, uh, 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 one of our main videographers, uh, he's really into his like uh, music videos and, and hip hop and, and just at general music and gigs and uh, bear in mind uh, I am getting on now you know I'm like mid 30s and and uh, and I haven't been to a gig for a long time because like my my son's been born and la 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 and I just you know I'm more of an old sort of just sit on the sofa and watch TV but uh, it was my friend my best friend's birthday and he's really into his music We've always liked our hip hop. And I thought, okay, I'll, I'll buy some gig tickets. And I found, um, I found this gig in, uh, in Camden. Uh, it was a uh, Joey badass, right? And, and even the way I say it is not very badass. So, <laughs> so and, and, and I, and Mark, my friend had told me about this Joey badass before, but I'd never listened to his music. And I thought, okay, great. And it was off a mate. And I said, right, I'm, I'll buy those two tickets off you. And he was like, really? He knows me from school. So he was like, Jez, you sure you want to go to this? And, uh, yeah, yeah, I'll go to it. So anyway, I bought the tickets, took my mates to this thing. And who do I bump into? Lee, my videographer. No way! 
Right. Yeah, apparently he had afterwards he told me he had quite a few pints uh, before I bumped into him. But and he obviously films me most days or most most weeks. And uh, and uh, and I just shouted out in the queue. I said, Lee, what are you doing here? <laughs> so the whole school of walk team keeps yeah, yeah, the great his Twenty-two year old mate, like. Lee, what's your 35-year-old boss doing at, 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 at this Joey Badass concert? <laughs> was the concert any good? It was amazing, yeah, it was really, really cool. I just, I did obviously stand at the back because I just felt too, maybe too quirky to sit in the middle. But anyway, and, and crowd surf. But hey, that's uh, maybe one of my quirky stories, yeah. And to this day forward, uh, it still embarrasses Lee to no end. Yeah. <laughs> I hear you saying jazz because the, a lot of your friends, people know yeah, you call you jazz. The whole team call me Jez. Call yeah, Jez. That's, that's my nickname. Yeah. Cool. C- can I call you Jez? Yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, he used, again, it's one of those things. When I was a kid, like a small kid, uh, the the nick the English nickname for Jeremy is Jem. But Jem, I think, is a little bit too cute and, like, you know, um, yeah. And, and so I actually changed it to Jez when I went to uni. I was like, reinvent myself. I'm going to uni. I love it. Jez, I feel like there are hip-hop, you know, vibes in Jez, too. I, yeah. I dig it. Yeah, again, slightly quirky, maybe a little bit geeky. Oh, I don't know. You name it, you got it. A combo of the best things. Yeah. Jez, thank you so much for coming on the Keep It Quirky podcast. Pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. Thanks again, Jez. I'm looking forward to doing a YouTube collaboration with you soon. And everyone, check out his YouTube channel, School of Walk, on YouTube. And that Kickstarter campaign Jez mentioned, it is officially up. It actually just launched yesterday, if you're listening to this podcast on the day it's released. I'll put the link to the Kickstarter in the show notes so you can go check it out. And thanks, as always, to Funky Brian for the theme song you hear. Until next time, don't forget to keep it quirky. 